Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk with Bob Irving, voice of the Bombers, who's going to get to call football games in less than two months. The CFL is back. Oh, what a feeling. It's great. So we'll talk all things football with Bob. And then we'll also talk baseball with Jamie Bettens of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League. The first two and a half months of the MLB season are in the books. The Blue Jays' bats are exploding right now. And what about that sticky stuff that pitchers are being caught using? We'll talk about all that on the podcast. The big news of the day, the CFL is coming back. August 5th, the season will open. Uh, The schedule will be released on Tuesday, but in the meantime... We are going to talk all things football with Bob Irving, the voice of the Bombers, making his third appearance on CGOB today because what better day to talk football than today, right, Bob? Well, this is a red-letter day, Christian, for the CFL. Uh, As you say, it's back. I don't think it ever went away, but we wondered if it would be back this year. Uh, And if it wasn't back this year, I know a lot of people have speculated it would go away. So I think the the Board of Governors really had no choice. They had to vote in favor of playing, even though they know they're going to lose more money. And some teams might, in fact, lose more money by playing than if they didn't. But they have to get the product back out there in front of people. And I think that's the right thing to do. It's the only thing that they could do. And so here we go. August the 5th, we'll uh, start things off. And they'll open training camp on July the 10th under extensive COVID protocols, which will come to light more and more as time goes along. And, uh, we hope that there'll be some bumps along the road, I expect, Christian, but we hope that everything will start on time and we've got a great Canadian, 14-game Canadian Football League season. Well, there's the, the comparison, right, between this and just looking at the NFL last year where their season starts in the fall of, of 2020. They have training camps. There's a lot of COVID issues. They get through a season with minimal fans. They can afford that because of the immense TV revenue they get. Where in Canada, really, the only way to make it work is to have people go to games. And that's kind of still a bit of an uncertainty, isn't it? Because it's up to the health departments of each province. And also, it's predicted by a virus that we don't know what it'll look like in 10 weeks, but we sure hope it's going to be a lot better than it is right now. Well, that's right. And so what you're saying is what we've been saying all along, Christian, that a lot of this is still unpredictable. And in particular the amount of fans that teams will be allowed to have in their stadiums. Now, we know what Alberta has said. The the premier there, Jason Kenney, has said he expects to have the province entirely opened up by, what, July or August. So there's Calgary and Edmonton if it comes to pass that way. Saskatchewan has said basically the same thing about Mosaic Stadium. The teams in the east, that's a different story. We don't know what's going to happen there. And we won't know until... You know, this is one of these things where people say, well, we want, we want specifics. <laughs> Sorry, they're just not available. We won't know what Ontario will be allowed until we get to August, late August, and see what the landscape looks like. And I think that applies here, too, Christian. Uh, I know Wade Miller is in contact all the time with the provincial government and the health authorities, and they uh, have discussed a lot of different things. And I know the provinces is in their corner in terms of helping the bombers out as much as they can, as much as is reasonably, uh, you know, able to do in terms of the the health order. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Again, as you and I speak today, we don't know how many fans the bombers will be able to have on the fifth of August when they uh, likely play their home opener. So uh, again, many unanswered questions. And uh, you know, you talked about the NFL. The difference now between what happened in the NFL and what happens now is so many people are vaccinated. And so the the possibility of the COVID outbreaks should be 
I say minimized, but a lot less than they were when the NFL was playing. But the players who come up from the U.S. in particular, Christian, are going to have to follow some strict protocols. They're going to have to quarantine when they get here. And I can guarantee you that Mike O'Shea and Kyle Walters and Wade Miller will be laying down the law and letting the guys know that, hey, you got to keep your noses clean when it comes to the COVID part of it, because if you don't, you're going to mess things up for a lot of folks here, and we're not going to stand for that. And just looking at it's kind of a public health story as much as it is a sports story when you look at getting people into the buildings, because here in Manitoba, admittedly, our vaccine rollout was iffy to start. It was slow to start. But I, it's been pretty impressive over the last few weeks. I mean, I'm 29 years old, and I'm getting my second dose this upcoming Sunday. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of people are getting vaccinated here. I know the province's 4-3-2-1 whatever plan was, you know, panned a bit as being vague, but at least it did give some kind of targets by Terry Fox weekend of mm-hmm. of getting people into the stadium, it seems. And I think that's, that's a target I think we can hit here in this province. Yeah, I think it is, too. And I think, you know, the point is being driven home so strongly by everybody, the bombers included, and, of course, the health authorities. And I went for my, my wife and I went for our second shots a couple of hours ago. So we're on the road to being completely vaccinated. I know many others are. And, you know, the numbers we got today, and we shouldn't get carried away with low numbers for one day, but they're certainly encouraging. And, you know, there's a feeling out there among the supreme optimists that, we're on the verge of getting COVID licked or at least under total control. And within a matter of three or four weeks, we'll be, you know, it'll be somewhere in our, in our taillights, not gone completely, but it'll be behind us. Well, that's the optimistic view. I guess the pessimistic view is, wait a minute, uh, there's still variants and things that could go wrong. So again, we'll have to wait and see what the next two or three weeks unfold. But if things continue to improve the way they have across the country here and across the country read the COVID situation you know I don't see why in early August the Bombers can't have a a decent crowd now with 33,000 I don't think so but uh, 10 12 14 I don't know maybe I I think the provincial health authorities are prepared to go along with that providing it's done right well I think the the big tasty carrot is the banjo bowl isn't it oh yeah yeah well and again, we don't have the schedule, but I can guarantee you they won't—they won't be playing a season unless the Bombers in Saskatchewan do the Labor Day Banjo Bowl back and forth. For so sure. I think we can assume that will be in the schedule that comes out tomorrow. And yes, the Banjo Bowl is a is a big one for sure. And again, now we're talking September the—I think it's the 11th, which is what two months from now, uh, three months from now, um, yeah. and that seems like a lifetime from now. So again. How do we predict? We can't. can't. There's no crystal ball here that can tell us. But uh, as I say, we appear to be, we, Canada, uh, fighting COVID, we appear to be on the right track. And that should augur well and hopefully will augur well for the CFL. Is this the longest you've ever gone without calling a game? Yep, probably. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And it, uh, it seems like forever ago. Honest to God, Christian, I can't, you know, the last game I called was the West Final uh, in Regina in November of 2019 so it'll be almost almost about a year and a half closer to two years between calling games and it's just it's kind of flown by in some ways and yet in other ways it uh, it's kind of crept along and there's all been all this uncertainty and will they play again and could they cancel another season and all those things so anyway your question was it's been a long time yet has been the longest i've gone between games but uh, i'm looking forward to it i think 14 games are all going to be 
critically important as opposed to an 18-game season. They're still important in 18 games, but 14 is even fewer. There's less room for error there, and uh, Doug Brown's going to be alongside me. We've got a lot of uh, protocols to work out in the broadcasting end of it, too, but that's another story for another day. Kelly Moore can you know, elaborate more on that from his oh, yeah. experiences covering the Jets, and you can too. You know all about that, so... Well, uh, there's, I'm a, there's work I'm to a be sideline done. reporter. I'm not going to be allowed at the sidelines, right? No, probably not. I, I would think not. Um, maybe we can, I don't know, what, can we get some sort of floating dirigible and put you up there and drop <laughs> get me you on down a scissor as lift? Long, <laughs> as long as you're 12 feet off the field. But see, these are, we're joking about it, but these are questions we, we don't know the answers to. I would say it's unlikely, uh, but I don't know if you're totally vaccinated. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, see, that's a question I would ask. What's the point of, of pushing everybody to be fully vaccinated if then we're going to still have you know, some real Barriers. serious restrictions in place, right? Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Again, this, these are questions for uh, for Kelly and company. to. Uh, the pe- as I said before in the show, it's above my pay grade. I'm at my kitchen yeah. table, as I have been since April of last year. So yeah. uh, we will figure that out. Just from a football perspective, Bob, I think going into last year – when there was no season, it seemed like there was going to be a lot of parity in the CFL. There was no clear view as to who would be kind of the basement of the CFL because it looked like Toronto was getting better and Ottawa got better, but then, you know, they flip nickels for Arbuckle. And yep. I looking at just, we have to remind ourselves, there is football to be played here. What do the teams actually look like? I mean, I don't know who, Who's going to be the best team? Who's going to be the worst team? It's been so long, but I feel like there's going to be a ton of parity, especially between teams that just no one's played in a while. So whoever handles the rust the best, that might end up being who comes out the gates and who keeps it going. Sure. The storylines are endless, I think, Christian. And and you're right, it goes back to the offseason of 2020 when the teams all made changes, you know, starting B.C. where they have a new coach and Rick Campbell and Mike Riley is going to be rejuvenated. The quarterback, they've beefed up their offensive line. The Edmonton Eskimos have a have a new head coach. They have a new name. They have a new name. Oh, did I say Eskimo? See, Elks. That, that's going to slip out more than <laughs> once. The Edmonton Elks. I like that yes. name, by the way. Calgary, Bo Levi, and Huffnagel, and those guys will be fired up to get back uh, You know, in the top drawer. Saskatchewan was as good as there was last year in the West. I mean, uh, you know, the West final, there was little to choose between the Bombers and the Riders. And then you go down East, you got Toronto with all the changes they've made. I'm skeptical about some of them. They've had a lot of older players who may be beyond their best before date, but we'll see about that. Ottawa, of course, uh, with Paul Lapolice coaching and Matt Nichols, their quarterback now. Montreal was coming on strong uh, last year with Vernon Adams at quarterback. So, yeah, I think and Hamilton is back with most of their their key players from 2019. Just as are are the Bombers, I think Hamilton and Winnipeg have to be the kind of the, the favorites in the East and West. But uh, boy, there's uh, there's a lot of other teams with tons of changes, and it's going to be intriguing. It really is. Well, the thing about Winnipeg is that they bring back almost everybody, right, from the Grey Cup yeah. squad. Yeah, and the question with the Bombers, to some degree, I guess, and to all the teams, there, there's a bunch of questions like. What kind of shape have the players stayed in, right? Uh, you know, it's all well and good to say, well, uh, you know, I've been working out and I'm still in shape, but are you really in football shape? And you'll find that's why the training camp is a little longer than normal. There's no preseason games, but there's going to be a big focus, I think, on conditioning during training camp. And then you've got some of these guys who are almost two years older than when they left, and the Bombers did have some key players who were 
Stanley Bryant, I keep bringing Stanley's name up, and I know he wouldn't like that a bit. Uh, Andrew Harris is going to be 35 in the spring. You know, and there's players across the league who are in the same boat. Do, do they still have it after being away from the game for a year and adding another year or two to their, their birth date? So, yeah, all, all kinds of intriguing questions surrounding the whole mosaic of the Canadian Football League as it gets set to roll out for 2021. And we'll have uh, all the coverage we're able to get, bring you here on CJOB. We know you love covering training camp. See, for you, training camp was always a bit of a slog, but, I mean, you're probably going to cherish it this year, aren't you? No, it's a slog. It, I don't like training camp, but <laughs> okay. they're going to do it for three weeks, Christian. Imagine that. I want some sympathy now. Three weeks of training camp. And here's the thing. We've already been told we can watch the practices, but there will be no interaction or interviews with the players when the practice is over. Hello, Zoom interview. Uh So, uh uh, you know, again, for the average fan, they don't really care about that. I'm just referencing it as part of the challenge that we will face in the media to to get our job done. So, you know, the work's going to be quite a bit different this year. But, uh, again, the games will be the games. And for me, it's always been that's where it's at is with the games. The practices, training camp, those are all necessary evils. But the games bring out the excitement in, I think, everybody that watches them and plays in them and certainly that broadcasts them. I can guarantee you that. Bob, appreciate your time as always. Great news today, and uh, we'll catch up with you as we get closer to kickoff. Okay, Christian, thanks. As Bob Irving, the voice of the Blue Bombers here on CJOB Training Camp, July 10th kickoff. August 5th, still some time to go, and we get the schedule released tomorrow, but definitely exciting times in the CFL. Let's talk about baseball. We are about two and a half months into the Major League Baseball season. Let's check in with our local baseball correspondent, Jamie Bettens, the president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League. Uh, he's a huge baseball fan, loves the Blue Jays, and we'll get to them in a moment, Jamie. But let's just start with the fact that uh, after a 60-game season last year with no fans, things are just about back to normal in the majors. Have you been enjoying uh, the action so far with a bunch of fans in the stands? Yeah, it's, it's bittersweet, as obviously you'd want to see Toronto playing at home with that lineup, you know that you know you're looking at 35 to 50,000 fans on any given night in Toronto right now, and if they can get those kind of fans, then obviously the revenue is coming in, which means the sustainability of lineups and bringing you know other players in that cost even more money is is entirely possible. So, as much as I love seeing it, it makes me think about the business side of it too. And uh, either way, though, baseball's back, and I love it. Well, let's just get right to the Jays, who are uh, an exciting team, win-loss-wise. They're just over 500, but it's kind of what we thought would happen, a team that can just smoke the ball, but pitching's an issue. Let's just start with the bats. They hit eight dingers yesterday. We won't worry about what they're doing tonight against the Red Sox, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. leads the American League in batting average at 344. he He's got 21 homers. That leads the league. 55 runs batted in. That leads the league. He's the first player, age 22 or younger, to lead his league in all three Triple Crown categories, 60-plus games into a season since Al Kaline in 1955. The kid's pretty good. Absolutely. As advertised, it's taken a couple of years to get to this point, but now that he's here, I don't see him leaving that perch anytime soon. And so just the, the kind of order they have, we saw it on full display yesterday, just what kind of potential does this team have this season? Well, I think it makes it... Um, obvious that it's it's time to make some additions at the deadline and and or even before it and and go after pitching. You don't need offense and you don't need depth in the batting order because you have it. Um, 
now that George Springer is going out on a rehab assignment as of, I think, tonight, um, you know, he will be back, which means he cements that lineup even more from the top down. You've got Semyon, you know, with an all-star caliber season as well. And the lineup is loaded. Somebody has to move out when Springer comes in. So now you've, you've just increased your bench depth. So aside from maybe getting a, a bench piece, you can focus on pitching right now and basically tell the, 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 the current starters and relievers that are in there right now, time to do your job or we're going to start looking for replacements. I think that's actually already happened. And it's just a matter of time before we see some trades. And that's the thing. George Springer hasn't even been a part of this. He was brought in to be kind of the the figurehead at the top of the lineup, and he's been out of the lineup for most of the season, hasn't he? Yeah, the fact that they're doing this without him in the lineup, you know, would lend some people to say, well, why do we need him? Uh, Obviously you do, and and this is a long-term play for numerous years for the franchise. Um, And George Springer just adds that much more confidence. And what I think it does is, it makes us a true playoff team if we get in. We are going to be a different lineup. We may not even hit quite as well simply because guys like George Springer can set the table, and that's how you win in the playoffs. You're not going to hit eight, eight home runs in a playoff game, but you will have the opportunity for a guy like George Springer to bat lead off, hit a double, steal third base, and be brought in by Semyon uh, in the two-hole hitting a ball over to the right side, and you need to manufacture, and, that, and that's what's going to be good getting him now and the fact that we can you know, learn how to manufacture for the rest of the season and, and become that true playoff team. I think Simeon's addition was an underrated and under-talked about thing because he was an MVP candidate a few seasons ago. He was the AL batter of the month. That's, Springer got all the headlines, but Simeon was a nice add too. He almost was a forgotten piece for a lot of teams. as The Jays only scooped him up for, I think it was 10 or $10 million. And so to, to get him on that, he's obviously going to get paid. He bet on himself and you know, knew he was going to have a good season. And, you know, he's a guy that I, I would like to see us keep in the long term uh, because he just adds a level of professionalism to that lineup. And I think he's been great for players like Bichette and, and Biggio and things like that to kind of give them that stable veteran influence to maybe accelerate their careers even faster now. One last thing on the Jays, just on an AL East kind of overview right now. Uh, coming into tonight, seven and a half out of first place. The Rays have just been amazing. Uh, they're pitching they, every year. They just doesn't matter who's there. The Rays are just rock solid. Boston, right now in second place. I think their pitching has been a facade to this point. It's it's starting to fall apart on them. Where do you think the Jays can finish in this division? Do you think first is out of reach with the Rays looking so solid? I think every team regresses at some point in the season back to the norm, and and I. I think Tampa and Boston, it's known that they haven't had the strongest schedule yet. They haven't had to go through the East nearly as much. And even on the interleague side of things, the Jays had the toughest schedule and they've already come out of it, you know, above 500. So I think that favors well. I I would, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Jays overtake Boston. I do agree. Boston pitching is due for a little bit of a falter here and their depth should be tested at some point. Tampa, to me, is just one of those teams that gets it. Um, You see every so often a trade for a reliever or a trade for a a fairly known player that gets swapped for two players you don't know, Um, but chances are they throw 99 and they come out of their bullpen and become heroes. It's, It's a good play. I'm sure other teams are trying to emulate it, but they can't quite do it yet. And until they do or until somebody figures out, you know, how to beat the Tampa bullpen, um, they they might be the king of the East. 
All right, so right now, first place across the league, you've got the Rays, White Sox, the A's, the Mets, the Cubs, and Brewers right now tied for the first in the Central, and then the Giants in first place in the NL West. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Giants have been the biggest surprise of those six clubs. Do you agree? I would have said for sure. Oakland and San Francisco out in the Bay Area, something's in the water there because I would never have called either one of those two teams. You know, when, when Oakland loses Semyon and Bumgartner departs from San Francisco and they sign Kevin Gosman, you know, a guy that the Jays had on their radar and multiple other teams did as well. Um, you know, and that was to be their big key, key free agent piece. Um, you never would have seen 42 wins to this point, but uh, they're doing it. Now, as far as the NL East is concerned, the Mets are in first place. The Phillies in second are only three back, but they're only a game above 500. We said at the start of the season that we thought this division might cannibalize itself. It seems to be totally true. Are you perhaps surprised that no one's really taken off in that division right now? I feel like the injuries have caught up to every single team in the NL East right now. And, and when it comes to pitching staff, you know, New York is on top because they, they seem to have a little bit of depth at the starting pitching position. And that's the only thing that's really made a difference. Otherwise, everybody's beating up on each other. Philly's had some injury problems. Atlanta's had, you know, starting pitching problems and losing uh, Soroka for the year. Uh, certainly doesn't make things any easier there for what they originally planned him to do. Uh, I think it's, I wouldn't say they're a walkover division. They might even end up being more battle tested in the end, but the NL East is, is a bit tough to watch. So the big controversy or conversation in the first little bit of the season has been about spin rate for starting pitching and how the batting numbers were way down, like historic lows. And so there's been a crackdown on foreign substances that pitchers have been able to use. It's always kind of been, been a thing that pitchers could use something like a rosin sunscreen to kind of get some tack on the ball. But there was spider tack, which is like too far. It's a, some kind of weightlifting goop. And I, I've seen a stat from Travis Sochik on Twitter that uh, through Saturday, 67% of pitchers have had a spin reduction since June 3rd and 36% of reduction by more than half uh, a miles per hour unit. So it seems like the threat of sticky stuff policing seems to be creating a deterrence. What is your, What are your thoughts on this whole, do we call it a controversy? You know, it's, it's hard to understand, you know, where this is starting from. And, you know, you hear the talk of Josh Donaldson saying he's got a book that he would release, uh, you know, outing a whole bunch of players. Garrett Cole certainly didn't do anything but throw fuel on the fire with his post-game interview where he basically stumbled and went silent for about 10 seconds trying to answer the question. It's it's something that has gone in on in the game for quite some time, whether it be rosin or something on the hat or pine tar or anything like that. And that doesn't mean that it should be allowed. It, it's just that, you know, they've never really dealt with it until this point because it's never really affected things. To talk about it from a batting average standpoint, the, the game has changed and the philosophy of hitting is all about, you know, home run or bust. And so these guys aren't content with an 0-2 pitch uh, being driven the other way for just a base hit like Tony Gwynn may have done. You know, it's, it's Barry, Bond, Barry Bonds or bust. And these guys are still swinging with uppercut swings with two strike counts and they're giving into the pitchers. And now it seems like they're, you know, almost crying unfair advantage simply because they're not hitting the ball as well. You know, it's it's something they're going to have to take a look at. 
if they can start to catch a few big name players, it's probably going to change things. And when you see the spin rates drop, it's obviously changed for a few people and it's going to change contracts. It's going to change a lot of things. And, and who knows, maybe it, it is better for the game because we will see more offense. And I think that offense sells more tickets than, than no hitters. Oh, for sure it does. Oh, no hitters are exciting, but like a, a four hitter isn't very fun. So Very true, yeah. Y- you look at uh, even the, the threats of outing pitchers. The reason why I don't think we've heard a lot of speculation on this, and this is probably the same if you go back to the steroid era, if you s- snitch on some other team's pitchers, they're going to come back and say, hey, your guys are doing it too, so you, no one's cleaning this. Exactly, and, and that's the kind of the brotherhood or the code that you know you somewhat have to subscribe to when you do make it up to the big leagues and you know if one of your best pitchers you know you see that you're you're certainly not gonna you know wave the 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 flag on on your own teammate and and nor would you want to call out somebody else's because guys get traded or guys end up other places and and again you know following that kind of unwritten code um, you could make life pretty tough for yourself and your organization at that point too. So it's, you know, don't ask, don't tell, and and hope nobody says anything about you. How much fun do you have watching Shohei Otani do his thing? You know what i I under underestimated how exciting it was going to be to see it, but the way that the Angels are utilizing him has been fantastic. It, it's you know, you, you see on Instagram or, you know, posts of good hitting coaches and stuff, and they're dissecting his swing and, and showing the the sheer beauty of it. And then you see the monstrous distance that he's getting on things. And then you almost take for granted what he does as a pitcher, because a lot of people just talk about the home runs and the hitting that he does. But, you know, every fifth day he takes the hill and, you know, they're not, up there in the standings but you know whenever he pitches and has influence in a game they're certainly up there I mean Mike Trout's not in the lineup there but between those two Anthony Rendon and and maybe some pitching additions you know they are going to be right there for years to come and finally just from uh from years to come point of view how good is it for the game that right now your first second and third in home runs are Vlad Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., and Ronald Acuna Jr., all these young, fun guys that are just joys to watch. It's it's amazing. I've seen locally here um, a lot of teams, as they're optimistic to get a season started, releasing player profiles, and, and those are the names that these younger generations are putting as their favorite player now. It's it's Ronald Acuna, it's Vladimir Guerrero, you know, it's Bo Bichette. It's not kind of that old guard that's aging and on their way out. You're not you're just not seeing some of those players being named anymore. And and I think baseball needs it. I think they need that passion that we're seeing. Um, I could probably do with a little bit less of the bat flip and some of the oh, come on. after the home run. Uh, but that's maybe showing my age of, of mid-40s now. Um, but I do love what it does for the fans and, and the frenzy that it puts them in. Um, Slam Diego is probably one of the cooler slogans that I've heard all year, and it just seems like the minute the bases are loaded, Tatis just seems to remarkably be up at bat. So it's uh, I love it I, from that perspective, and I, and I want more of it every night. I'm a 29-year-old, and I say, go ahead. Do whatever you want. It's fine <laughs> with me. Jamie, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. We'll check in a little later in the season. Uh, all righty. Take care. 
Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. So sad that they should come to this. We try